you have two different ways to kind of hire ticket projects. The first one is relationships. I'm going to go and Joe is going to spend more with me because Joe trusts me than he would somebody he doesn't trust at a lower price. So Joe, so I can get there through relationships. The other one is through reputation, building up your reputation over time, doing great work, winning awards, getting known in a certain industry or niche that you're trying to target. And um, that can open up opportunities for you based on reputation. Relationships and reputation, those are the two best ways to find new clients. I want to welcome to Design Drives, where we explore why, how, and what design and designers are driving forward. The mission is to interview the most forward-thinking designers, the most innovative creatives on the planet, to inspire and help you to reach your full creative potential and to make a positive impact in the world. In the episode, I share with Mike Gender on the intersection of business and design. An episode that's actually fully packed with insights that you can start to apply to your work today. We talk about how you set up a design agency so you can actually sell the business at some point, but also how you scale a design business and drive sales. That means how you acquire clients or get better ones and how you price yourself correctly. We also drive into some of the biggest mistakes designers are doing, how you can actually articulate the value of design towards business and marketing stakeholders in the most powerful way. Mike is running one of my absolute favorite Instagram channels on the intersection of design and business. So I'm really honored to have him. Enjoy the episode. All right, I'm here with Mikael Yanda. Thank you so much for taking your time. Hey, thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. It's always fun for me to meet new people like you and to connect and talk design and talk business and talk creativity. So thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time. In this episode, we're going to talk about um, the intersection of business and design. And um, you have been founding a design agency yourself, uh, which uh, later on you sold. So you have a lot of experience in building up businesses in the context of design, building up design services. And actually, you are very big also on social media, where you share actually on Instagram uh, frequently tips and insights for people and knowledge how they can improve their business skill set, uh, specifically for designers, which I find myself like super valuable. So I can definitely recommend people to check that out. And yeah, we're going to talk about, you know, what people can um, learn when it comes to specifically designers can learn when it comes to growing their business skills and uh, growing their, their business. So really looking forward to that. Um, but it would be really great, um, Michael, for the start, if you can just give a bit more context to the audience a bit uh, of your journey and how you actually started initially and got to this point today. Awesome, thanks. Uh, yeah, so my journey, you know, I'm I'm an old timer in this creative industry. I graduated from university in 1996. And when I graduated, I thought, oh man, I'm gonna go out and get some agency job and this is gonna be great. And then I couldn't get a job for like two months. I'm applying everywhere and my confidence went from super high college graduate to bottom thinking, oh my gosh, I really have nothing valuable here. These agencies won't hire me. I can't get my feet into a business. And that just, for a competitive person like me, that just spurred me on to say, oh, I'm not going to settle for this 
life. You know, my first job was at a copy store being like their mm-hmm. pre-pressed coordinator person. So I, I dug in and started self-educating, learning how to code HTML and build websites, learned Flash in the very early years of Flash in those kind of 1997, 98 years, and just went on this quest to self-educate. And it paid off big time because four years later, I landed a creative director job at Fox Studios in Los Angeles. I worked there for a few years running two of their digital departments, the Fox Family and Fox Kids digital brands. I left there. They sold those to Disney and Disney was dismantling our team over a year and a half. And finally, our team of 50 went down to six of us on the last day where we kind of turned the lights off on those those properties at Fox. And that that led me into freelancing. And I was freelancing out of default. I was getting requests from some of my coworker friends who had been downsized at Fox. And then they landed at Sony or Disney, ABC family. They were, and then they started sending me work. And so I just started freelancing. And for a couple of years, it was just me grinding out freelance work. I never in that era thought, oh, I'm going to go start a design agency. This is what I'm going to do. I was just freelancing out of fear because I did I needed income to support my family. So uh, about two years into that, I was working crazy hours, got to where it was 80-hour weeks and, and just stressed out of my mind. And my wife finally compelled me to start hiring people. And once I pulled the thread on hiring employees. I went from one employee to five in a year, got office space, went from five employees to 10 that next year, this would started doubling my billings. And then I started to think, wait a second, I got an agency growing here. So I went and changed my paradigm and said, okay, if I'm going to build a creative business, I'm going to make a great creative business. And I started treating it like a business and putting in systems and processes and being educating myself then on business principles and business management. And uh, that ended up growing over time into my agency riser, which I sold in 2015. I stayed at the agency I sold to for a couple of years during my buyout. And then I left there at the beginning of 2018 to do what I'm doing now. I, and that's educating other creative entrepreneurs to maximize their career, to go from freelance to an agency or to have the confidence to leave a job and go into full-time freelance and teaching the principles that you need to know to be able to succeed as a creative entrepreneur. My assumption with the people who follow me is that they already can design. They got, they already can do the technical side. They they're creative, they have software skills, they can produce what floats around in their brain, but how do you monetize it? And how do you turn it into a business? And how do you contract the client? And how do you manage the project effectively and create a good customer experience? All of those kinds of things are what I try and try and teach to my audience. Yeah, certainly. And it's nothing you learn at design school, right? I think it's something that it's, it's, it's like, it's very hard to find that knowledge and content. Uh, yeah. So that's the subline of my first book, burn your portfolio is stuff they don't teach you in design school, but should. 
And, and it's all the stuff I had to learn in the trenches of grinding out a, a design business. Yeah, exactly. And so when you sold your design business, um, that, you know, from what I understand, like if you want to sell like an agency, you also have to be good at being systematic, right? Because you have to have almost like a systematic approach towards like your creative services, right? Um, yeah. Because that's often like how you can, for example, in an like also in a you know in an acquisition uh, discussion, um, can then sort of like settle on something like on clear expectations, uh, and you have sort of a system in place that works and employees that uh, are leads uh, in their field and, and and can take it forward. Can you maybe share some some light on that? You know, for people who are because I think there are a lot of people offering design services, but like offering design services. And building up an agency to the degree that you actually, it's something that, you know, you can sell. You really have to understand like how to make it, how to do it like in a very systematic approach. I assume yeah. at least that's from what I learned so far, but I would be curious to hear like how, how your perspective on that. Yeah. My perspective on that came straight out of the book, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber changed mm -hmm. my entire paradigm. And I read it about two years into freelancing before I started hiring people And it was, it was his one statement, systems run the business, people mm -hmm. run the systems. That's his mm -hmm. mantra in there. So you look at the businesses like McDonald's and McDonald's can open up in Munich and produce a Big Mac, the same as the McDonald's that's down the street from me here in Salt Lake City. They can create the same product. And McDonald's is, is so systematic And the systems translate from a 16-year-old worker or a 30-year-old worker with 15 years of life experience, of job experience, they produce the same product. And I thought, oh man, this is, this is it. How do I systemize a creative agency the way that McDonald's systemized a hamburger store? Mm -hmm. And the, the route to that is to create systems and processes. It's to create checklists so that everybody who's doing UX wireframing at your agency is following this 20-step checklist to execute on UX wireframing. Now, they implement their own creative ideas, but when it comes to the deliverables, when it comes to the process, the research, okay, we're going to do research. We research how many competitors and how many competing sites, how many industry sites like similar to the, the client you're working for. Um, when it comes to delivering the wireframes, how do we deliver those? How do we talk the client through those? What are the things that we say? The scripts that we use when we discuss these things with clients, all that can be systemized. And I started documenting everything. This was the two years into my okay. freelancing. I was just like, okay, if I'm going to hire people, I've got to be able to hire people that can do things the way that I do because my business was growing and, and being successful. So if I want other people to succeed in my business, they should do it the way that I'm doing it because it's working for my clients and that's what the clients are buying on. Uh, so that's kind of the mindset behind systems and processes and creating a systematic business is to make everything as turnkey as possible and then let your your team exercise their creativity in between the lines 
Um, you know, let them not worry about what their delivery document's going to look like. They can worry about the product that you're creating that you're putting inside the delivery document. Use your creative energy for that, but the the document itself should be templatized and systemized. Yeah, and it's not reducing creativity, right? Because you you can you you still um, you can actually focus on the actual work and sort of like the process and like and and the system is in place, so you can actually focus on where you can actually create impact. Um, as a yeah, it frees up creativity. On the exactly. contrary, to it doesn't reduce it at all. It frees it yeah. up because you're not sitting there worrying about how do I execute on this. It's mm. that's the step by step process inside yeah. the agency. Now you you don't have to worry about that, so you can use all your creative brain power to executing on the work, not coming up with the process to execute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it, it doesn't come so easy for designers because it's sort of like a different approach uh, that maybe, you know, business people have an easier time or maybe uh, people that work more in a technical field um, because I think designers just uh, also love the, the creative chaos, a lot of it, you know, and yeah. see opportunity. They like the yeah. organic, yeah, a lot of designers, yeah. it's the organic chaotic yeah. process that yeah. that happens. And that's great for art. But in design, this is, design is artistic, but it's a little different than art. It's a deliverable that has budget being paid against it. It has certain results that you want it to perform, certain actions you want the end user to take, or certain return on investment that you're trying to yield. There's, there's such a business aspect to design that doesn't exist in the creative artistic world. And we got to remember that when we're doing design, it's artistic by nature, but it's a lot different than art where it's subject to whatever chaotic process you want to do to try and get it out of your brain. That's fine for you as the artist, but design, you got to be able to Uh, collaborate and coordinate with multiple different people, other team members, bosses, clients, the end user themselves, the end viewer or recipient of that design. So it, it by nature is a lot more systematic than what traditional art is. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a great book Uh, actually about this topic that you probably also know the business uh, the design of business uh, by Roger Martin who actually talks about also actually the first example he brings in his book is the McDonald's example yeah, yeah. Uh, how you know that it's about you know designing the business in a way that it's scalable and actually one of the reasons for a lot of businesses and a lot of you know big successes business successes uh, have been um, the ones that have been designed in a way that can be scalable you know if you yeah. think about the, the way McDonald's was um, you know, building up and many, many other businesses. So, um, yeah, there's a design process in that as well, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like a design system, you could say for, for businesses. I um, had to get passionate about that because a couple years into agency life, I was no longer designing logos or designing websites, designing the product that my agency was creating. I wasn't doing that work anymore. And I felt creatively unfulfilled as a result. And then I realized, wait a second, I'm creating a business. That's what I'm creating. And I'm creating the systems and processes and 
the brand itself. And I started to get really passionate about what I was creating as a business. And I, and that became my creative outlet. I get as excited about crafting a new clause for a contract as I do about designing a logo for somebody, you know, it's, you have to, you have to kind of change your paradigms as a creative entrepreneur to satisfy your creative itch in the creation of a business. Yeah, so true, right? And then, you know, you know, oftentimes people say, I follow your passion. And this is, I think, uh, uh, true to a certain degree, but at the same time, like if you can overlap it uh, with a sort of like a new field where you find like success in, in context of the agency, it can be as fulfilling, right? You can uh, grow into these areas and you can find passion actually in areas maybe you don't have uh, initially yeah. passion maybe. So this is also super, yeah. super interesting. So I think as designers, sometimes we are, like holding back of things, but if we would try them out a little bit more, if we could just give them a chance and find some success then, and sometimes uh, this can be as fulfilling. So you've been for um, yeah years now sharing insights uh, via social media, right? On um, helping designers to grow their uh, business skill set. Wondering a little bit, what was maybe some of the most controversial Uh, perspective that you maybe had and some of the most discussed uh, topics, or do you see any kind of trends there where people are debating a lot? Um, yeah, I mean, discussed topics, pricing is always a hot button um, and finding clients. Those, those are kind of the two big hot mm -hmm. topics that designers really, really struggle with. Mm -hmm. How do I find clients at all? And how do I find better clients than the ones I have? And then how do I get them to spend more money with me? Those, mm -hmm. I mean, if we wanted to distill it down to the biggest problems that creative entrepreneurs have, those are probably the top three. As far as controversial opinions, you know, when I, when I very first started sharing content, it was right after my book, The Psychology of Graphic Design Pricing came out. And in that book, I don't talk about value-based pricing other than a couple of paragraphs. And there are some other channels and thought leaders that were talking about value-based pricing all the time. The idea that you ask your client, oh, how much, how much do you think you're going to make on what we do, what we produce here? And the client says, oh, hopefully a hundred grand. And then you say, okay, I'll charge you $10,000 for, for it, 10% of what you think you'll make. That'll be my price. And I like the concept of value-based pricing. But in the real world, it is rare that a creative entrepreneur can use value-based pricing the way that it's been shared on numerous different social channels. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the time, you're not working with a client who is business savvy enough to project the ROI of the thing that you're building. And even if they're from a big company, you're not working with the person who cares about that piece. Uh, we, we did a ton of work for Google, for example. And I could never value-based price a Google project because I'm sitting there with a marketing manager and they have a marketing budget and that's how they allocate the price. It's not based on the potential ROI to Google on how our thing performs and it's going to generate X whatever to Google. I could never value-based price a project like that. And then um, my fear is that a lot of designers out there are value-based pricing or trying to value-based price 
things that shouldn't be value-based price, like the design of a menu for a restaurant. Okay, if you sit with a client and they need a new menu for their restaurant and you say, okay, well, how much money do you think this menu will yield to your business over the next year? The client's going to say, I don't know, none. I, I don't know. We just need the menu because we have new entrees and they're not on our old menu. So we need so a new companies. menu. Yeah. So value-based pricing, really, there, there are certain scenarios that you could use it, but maybe it's a controversial opinion that I have that it's very rare that that's going to work in a real world scenario for most creatives doing most types of projects out there. So my pricing model doesn't have much to do with the value of the end product. It has more to do with what is my cost to produce the work? What is the market value of the work? What are other people like me charging for this thing? And what is the client's budget? And I weigh those three different variables to determine my price. Now, I'm not a fan of pricing it based on your production cost and just saying, okay, well, it's going to cost me $800 of my time to produce this. So I'm going to charge the client $1,000 for a 20% markup. I'm not a fan of that because there may be other designers like you charging $5,000 for that thing as a market value. So you want to charge competitively with the other people. Um, but it's rare that I factor in the, the end value of the work like value-based pricing has been shared in, in a lot of different content from people. I just don't think that there's a fit for, for using that in, in many or most scenarios. It also makes the discussion a little bit difficult, right? With the, with the client, you know, if they have to, if you kind of give them the challenge to kind of project that out, right. And, uh, it's not, it's not, a, not an easy conversation. I assume. And like you said, maybe they're not as business savvy. Yeah. You have to have a client who's business savvy to be able to do that. They have to think that way. And it's, and it's rare that people think that way in business. And then if you ask that and you're not business savvy enough, to talk the client through the way that this will monetize, then you're going to be flopping over your words and look like an idiot in the conversation. Uh, so, and, and it doesn't take into a factor another element, which is something in, in sales that's called the cost of the best alternative. Cost of the best mm -hmm. alternative. And that's what people weigh when they compare your price to other people's prices out there. So if you say, okay, I'll charge you $10,000 for that. And then they go get two more bids and they say, wait, I really like Mike. I would like to use him, but the cost of the best alternative is half what Mike is charging, $5,000. Now, I don't like George as much as I like Mike, but I like George at $5,000 better than I like Mike at $10,000. So I'm going to choose George, the cost of the best alternative and value-based pricing just gets destroyed with the cost of the best alternative perspective, which human nature is going to consider in any kind of negotiation process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now that's so interesting. The other two things you shared was like finding uh, new clients and then finding better clients, 
right? So I think uh, as the sort of like the top three things like designers are kind of challenging yeah. uh, with, what would be your advice towards uh, these two topics? Well, okay. So finding new clients, it's re relationship marketing is so critical inside mm -hmm. of the creative industry. Mm -hmm. People, there's the, the old cliche, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. Mm -hmm. So you got to find people who like you and trust you. And then you ask them for referrals. You tell them you're trying to grow your client list and ask them to refer people to you. And um, that networking mindset. And that's the way that the majority of creative services is done. You have two different ways to kind of higher ticket projects. The first one is relationships. I'm going to go and Joe is going to spend more with me because Joe trusts me than he would somebody he doesn't trust at a lower price. So Joe, so I can get there through relationships. The other one is through reputation, building up your reputation over time, doing great work, winning awards, getting known in a certain industry or niche that you're trying to target. And um, that can open up opportunities for you based on reputation. Relationships and reputation, those are the two best ways to find new clients. Outside of that, um, you know, if, you've, if you've exhausted all the relationships you have, you're a, a young freelancer, you asked your three university friends for work and you told your mom that you're looking for work and she knows seven people and none of them need work from you and you really have exhausted all of your relationships and you're too young and too new that you don't have reputation built you have never won an award you've never um, done a major project that got some publicity behind it so now you're sitting there saying okay I don't have relationships and I don't have reputation how do I find clients well, you got to meet more people, go to networking events, connect with people on social media inside of uh, message boards, groups and things, LinkedIn groups and Facebook groups that are relevant to a certain industry that you want to do work for. You got to get to know more people. And over time, you can build relationships with those people. And over time, they will grow to trust you and they will buy from you. But you gotta you gotta get yourself out there, and and a lot of uh, creative entrepreneurs, you know, when when work slows down, they sit behind their computer screen and they are just scared, and they hope that the phone rings or an email comes in off of their web form, and they're just like, oh man, I really need leads, but they're not doing anything to go and generate those opportunities. Uh, you know, Newton's law for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And in sales, it's so that mm -hmm. you have to take action, sales related action, and then the equal and opposite reaction will be opportunities for you. But you got to get up and get out from behind your computer and go and meet people, get in front of those people, build trusting relationships with them, and they will buy from you and they will refer you to other people that they know. I think totally, totally agree. And I think what's important there is also that you not like put too much pressure on that. Um, so you have to give it time, you know, I think. 
yeah. so like if you start build relationship purely with the uh, idea to kind of make that into a business you know people smell this from many meters away yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. and it's, it's not really a great experience for both sides um so yeah i mean uh, i mean the, the best thing is also just to do great work uh, uh and then at the same time build up relationships but then yeah you have to give it time you know and then um we just build out these relationships get the trust first and um and 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 then it will may turn into a, a business right and then yeah. you, you maybe add a position where you can maybe ask about or like bring up that topic but yeah, yeah. one of the other things is you know, if you just ask people how you can help them in the first place, right? So how can you provide them yeah. value? And you don't even thinking about like creating a business. This can be anything yeah. from like, wh what has this other person in front of you may, may, have a, uh, may have a problem with that you can help them with? You know, this yeah. can be anything from like, maybe you heard that, you know, there are kids going, looking for uh, a place to send their, their kids to, to school, right? Um, like it can be anything like, and, and that, I think that's another way to build relationships. It just doesn't have to be like purely on, um, like offering a service. You know, it can be yeah. anything kind of, and I think by, if you invest in these relationships, um, th that's how you grow them. And, um, uh, but yeah, yeah. So it should be not with the intention to, to directly make it a business. Yeah. Yeah. If it happens, it's the, but it's the mindset of serve, serve first, provide value first and let yeah. the sale become a byproduct of that. And, and I've done that in my social media efforts. You know, I'm, it's like, here's value, 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 value. And then people go to my website, they find out I do coaching and they hire me for coaching. They go to my website, they see, I've got a couple books and they buy a book, they buy a course but it's, it's with the mindset of value, 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 value yeah. and serve others and let sales be a byproduct of that. And, and you can do this even as a young designer, you go, next time you go to a restaurant and you sit down to eat, pull up their social media on their, on the restaurant and see if they're using Instagram to post pictures of their food, their people, their menu, um, happy people inside of their restaurant and stuff. And if they're not, it's such an easy in because you can find the restaurant that's across the street and see that they're doing that. And then you go to the restaurant owner or and you say, hey, I, was, I, I love your food. And I noticed on Instagram, you're not using it at all. And the restaurant across the street is using Instagram every day. Look, they have lunch specials and they have photos of their thing. I can help you do that at some point, or you can just do it internally. I'm just telling you, Instagram is where restaurants do marketing in 2022 and beyond. Just wanted to throw that over to you uh, to give you some advice. And, you know, if they hire you to do it, or if they do it themselves, most of the time people are grateful for a yeah. free idea or a free nudge to, to make improvement of their business. No, absolutely, absolutely. I totally yeah, can agree to that. Um, yeah, uh, you, I mean, I think you kind of like shine, uh, shine some light on like, I think the biggest things like designers are struggling with getting better clients or even getting more budget from maybe existing clients because you maybe have been uh, budgeting too, too small in the very mm -hmm. beginning. How would, you, how would you approach that in terms of like, getting more value out of the services that you're providing either with existing clients or maybe new clients. Yeah. 
you know, um, the process, the sales process in creative services to generate higher revenue from projects is through walking the client through the process that you're going to use to execute. So if you go to a client, they want to buy a logo from you. And you sit down and you say, oh, we love doing logos. Thank you for reaching out. Let's sit down. We want to walk you through our process about how we make logos and make sure that they're successful to you. And the client's saying, okay, great. And the client in their head is thinking, I have $500 to to buy this logo. Just want to spend $500. Hmm. And then you take the time and you walk them through your process. And you say, first, we're going to do competitive research. We're going to research your top three competitors. And then we're going to research your customers and what are brands that they love. We're going to get inside the customer's head. And then we're going to go and we're going to create mood boards, logo ideas that other people have done that could be a similar style for what we do for you. And then we're going to do concept sketches. We're going to ideate just hand-drawn sketches. And then we're going to go and we're going to take one of those sketches and we're going to turn it into a vector um, mark for you. And then we're going to go through three rounds of that. And then after we get to the final core mark, we're going to go and we're going to create a family of logos. And after that, we're going to create a style guide for you that creates the whole brand, textures, patterns, image styles, all these things that you need to create a cohesive brand. And by the end of that presentation, that for you, I just did in you know a minute, <laughs> um, you take you make a five minute version of that and talk your client mm-hmm. through it. They're no longer thinking, oh man, I I only want to spend five hundred dollars. Now they're thinking, man, I really want that process. I want oh man, I want Sebastian to do this work for me. He's so methodical in his process. And yeah, I don't want just a pretty logo. I want a logo that's going to resonate with my target audience, with my customers. And he's the only one who talked about that and a style guide. I never even thought about that. I didn't know I need a style guide. And now by the end, they're thinking, oh my gosh, how much do I have to pay to get this? Because I'm going to up my budget to get this thing that I was just talked through. Um, that's kind of a route to unlocking a bigger budget from a client who comes to you with a lower budget. Take them through your process. Show them the show them what they don't know. And most of the clients don't know. They think that they just want a logo and that all you have to do is just open up some software and make a pretty icon for them. But they don't know the value that you can provide in going through a full logo design process. You can really unlock and open up some bigger budgets by doing that. Yeah. So it's about transparency, about like showing the how of what you're doing. I mean, you just did it in one minute, <laughs> but yeah. like, you know, if you have like five minutes, then you can also uh, dig into the why of things, right? So why this is valuable to the business? What's the yeah. business value out of it, right? So I can do this, I can do this, you know, UX design for you basically um, just as an output, or we can create a design system out of it. So you can yeah. use it for other additional projects in the long run. That would be one way, like how, and like, what's the value of that, right? You create a more sustainable, you have something more sustainable because you're going to be faster in the future, right? If we do it. Yeah. So one thing you talk a lot in your content about, but like something that I think designers can constantly upset is that if they, like, what's the audience they speak to? Or if they speak to 
um, business or marketing people, they have to understand what is their, what are they conscious about? They're conscious about yeah. risk. They're conscious about investing into you and having something they don't have to throw away like two weeks afterwards. Yeah. They want to have something sustainable, right? So yeah. that's something for the for the long term. Now, really understanding that and kind of frame your outputs and sort of what you deliver towards that, um, I think is a is a great approach. It's not so much about the what of what you're doing. Uh, it, yeah. It's more about like the the why why you're doing it yeah. and then you show them how you're doing it. Are there any like from from your experience? You I mean you touch with so many designers and creative entrepreneurs, um, and you have been raising I think already like sort of like the three pe things people are most interested. In, but do you see like also maybe a common mistake that designers are constantly doing and we don't put enough emphasis on? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, there's so many, so many mistakes. So um, <laughs> one is not running your business like a business. Businesses are run based on data and analysis, data and analysis. So you got to start tracking the data of your creative business and then analyze it and determine where you can make improvements. So you start tracking things like your monthly revenue versus your monthly costs. Start tracking your proposal requests, your leads, and then track how many proposals you presented and then track how many you won of the ones that you presented. Start tracking your uh, cost to produce each type of project that you, that you win. So you, you won a website. Okay, you won the website. How many hours did it take you to produce that website? And what was the price you charged? It's the, these kind of data points can give you tremendous insight into what your business really is doing. And it can help you project forecast out the future based on what's happening in your business today. While you were talking on one of the things you were um, sharing, I wrote down the that the leads that you have coming in in January are going to be your revenue in March and April. So you get a lead now, and it's probably going to take you some time to qualify the client, go through a discovery meeting, sell them through your proposal, contract them, and then kick the project off. You're not going to have revenue from that project next week. Most of the time, it's going to be a month from now. You get the lead today and a month from now you get you get your first check or or two months from now so just a simple thing like tracking your leads can tell you what's going to happen to your revenue in the future if you have a small amount of leads in january you're probably going to have a small amount of revenue in march and april if your leads are small in april you're going to have small revenue in june or july so um, the data, not running your business by the data and not looking at the data is a, is a big common mistake for a lot of designers, a lot of creatives. So they, they just like to make the stuff. They don't think about their the business data side of things. Another big problem is uh, pricing your work just by kind of throwing a dart at the board and seeing where it lands not taking the time to do an analysis of the things that I mentioned before, your production cost, your market value, your client budget, not analyzing those variables and choosing a price intentionally based on those three variables, just throwing your throwing a dart and saying, oh, if it lands on 10,000, I'll charge 10,000. If it lands on three, I'll charge three. Uh, so a lot of designers kind of run that way. They're not sure what to charge. So 
they err on the side of undercharging because they have no idea what it's really costing them to produce, or they have no idea what other designers like them are charging for that same kind of work and they're not being competitive in their pricing. Uh, those are two big mistakes. Another big mistake is, is the fear of, of talking with clients. And designers hide behind email. They hide behind email. And, and in fact, not just designers, but business in 2022, compared to 20 years ago, there's a lot of hiding behind email, not having face-to-face -face client conversations, not scheduling a Zoom call to present your proposal or to present the designs. Schedule calls with these clients, walk them through the work you're doing, share the thought behind what you produce, and they're gonna see the value in it. If you just email it to them with no personal connection or explanation, then it's hard for them to build their trust in you. And I think a big mistake is a lot of designers hiding behind emails or written communication rather than having these face-to-face -face conversations, which make a huge difference in your business. Yeah. I mean, like even, even, um, you know, calling people, right. Just try out different mediums. And I think definitely I think there's so much value of just like having a, a conversation because that's the way you can start, uh, actually to build a relationship, you know, wherever that yeah. goes. So, and I think your first point is really good with the tracking of data. Um, because it kind of circles back to what you said initially about like how to create a scalable business, right. Mm -hmm. uh, and a scalable, uh, set of services. And, uh, it, I think like one of the things that is holding back designers with this is just, yeah, it requires some effort to, to do that because you have to put in the right infrastructure. You have to really track things. You have to, you know, potentially like create an air table for that always with every email yeah. kind of settings up. You have to put a CM system in place, maybe to track all of your, your leads that requires some work. And then you have to really stick to it. It requires a lot yeah. of discipline. That's not easy. So yeah, but it's a, a sort of a different way of, of looking uh, at a business, more of a technical sort of business mindset. Yeah. Yeah. And you talk a lot about the value of um, design, right? Um, UX design, maybe more specifically, but maybe design in, in, in general. Um, how do you usually approach that uh, in your in your in your communication when it comes to a business stakeholders? Do you have sort of like a common sort of way how you frame that, or how do you bring that uh, to the table in terms of like the the value um, you know UX design or uh, design services can provide to us at business? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's really pretty easy to change the client's perspective when they, when they come and ask you for work. So UX design, as an example, the client comes to you and says, hey, we wanna redesign our app. We wanna redesign our app. And maybe they just wanna redesign it because they designed it five years ago and the CEO doesn't like it anymore. That's why. Just add some, just add some colors maybe, right? Yeah, that's Change what it is. Colors. It's like, yeah. oh, we want to recolor it or we want to adjust some things or whatever. And that's the, that's the request that comes to you. The way to change that conversation to be about the value of the design is to start talking about the data right now at the start. And you can say, okay, well, why do you want to change the colors of, of your app? Why do you want to go through that process? So, well, I don't really like it. I, I don't know. The CEO doesn't like it. He just gave me this mandate to go through a UX process and, and change it. 
And you can yeah. say, okay, well, can we see what, what, how are you, how's your sales data right now? Can we see the data? Um, can we see where users are dropping off? Because we don't want to just go and recolor it just to make it aesthetically different. We want it to be a transformation of how the app functions for your business and for your users. We want it to make an improvement. So we'd love to be able to track your sales data now or your usability data now. And then when we go and launch the new version, we want to track it against what you're doing right now. Because our objective is not just to change it to make it visually different. We want to make it usability better. And we want it to, to impact the bottom line of your business. You start talking like that to clients, even if they don't talk that way, they all of a sudden say, whoa, man, Sebastian is just a cut from a different mold. He's thinking about this. He's thinking about things that we weren't even thinking about. We mm -hmm. just were sick of the way it looked, but he wants to make it better from a functional standpoint and better usability and better sales and better retention or whatever metrics you're going to try and uh, improve the performance of. So the, the way to start talking about value of design is to start talking about the data behind it and start telling your clients that you want to impact that data in a positive way. And then the clients eat it up. It's, it's a sell, it sells them on using you versus just the other designer who's just going to change the colors out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's again about using the, the right language, um, uh, the language of business. Um, yeah. and, and I think it's also about raising ambitions, right? If you get a, like a briefing, you really try to see how, how, how far you can shoot it and, uh, well, you know, uh, see how, how far you get. Right. But yeah. if, if designers don't have that ambition, like, uh, who will have it? So, um, I think like just bringing that to the table and, and seeing how can you maximize the customer experience? Uh, in, and at the same time, kind of frame it around uh, business terms, seeing like how great you can make it for, for customers, what's the greatest version this could be, right? And then you may not, not get like to the absolute max in that process, but at least like shooting for it. I mean, you've been doing a lot of projects also in the context of your design agency, right? Was there any kind of um, also a moment where you, and th this can be also a project of someone else, in fact, doesn't have to be of <laughs> yours, but like a project where it maybe didn't work out so great. Uh, maybe like a story where you know, something, something hasn't been working out and what did you maybe uh, learn from it? Any kind of learning oh. that you maybe made specifically around that context, around uh, framing the value uh, of design or sort of setting expectations? Yeah, I, I have plenty of my own projects that didn't work out. Client, client disasters and some of them very costly to my business. Mm -hmm. And you know, there, there are a handful of things that cause a bad project to happen. And usually the common one is that the designer, the creative does a bad job of creating the scope. They don't scope the project very well. They don't get the details and it leaves way too much room for assumptions. So if you have a bad scope, you're likely going to have a bad project as a result the next one, you could have a good scope. You do a good job of taking the time to scope it, but you do a bad job of managing that scope, of holding your client to the scope that was approved. So you let them 
you know, adjust things that are out of scope and add little things here and there. And then all of a sudden, by the end of the project, you've got a nightmare on your hands of a whole bunch of stuff that shouldn't have ever been done in the first place. So problem one, bad scope is bad project. Number two, good scope with bad scope management yields a bad project also. The next one I would say is a bad client. You say yes to a client who you should have said no to, you're going to have a bad project. And I got a lot of those in my wake of history where I said yes, because financially I wanted their money. I needed it for cash flow. I was afraid to say no. I thought we could manage them, but they had all kinds of red flags. Bad client, bad project, almost every time. And then the final one that I'll share is you might have a good client, but bad systems and processes, that's going to lead to a bad project. Good client with you not operating systematically, good processes, good communication, good deliveries, good systems, uh, that's going to lead to a bad project as well. So I think at the heart of why do some of these things go wrong, uh, those four things are, are at the heart of almost every bad project I ever had in my agency. And I, even, even in the later years, you still, you still try and correct those things. And I dodged a lot of bullets when, by saying no to some engagements, but even, even late, late into it, I was still messing up on some of that stuff. It's hard to manage, but if you keep those things in mind, you have a lot better chance. What's interesting, like, and when the things that you mentioned, it was not so much about the craft of design so much. It was more about the transparency, the communication, the scoping, everything yeah. around the actual design project, right? So once you're in yeah. the project, like, you know, like I think designers know how to do that, but I think the problems come around the around the project, right? So not the actual yeah, totally. Design it's work. rare that the designer is just doing bad work. Mm. You know, most most designers out there that are confident enough to be an entrepreneur and try and build a freelance business or a little agency or something, they can do the work itself and do it well, but they fail in those other things, the things around the project, as you said, that's, that's well yeah. put. Yeah. Uh, specifically, I think one thing everyone can kind of, uh, kind of connect to, I think would be the scoping one, right? Where you sort of like things get sneaked into the scope that were not there yeah. before, but just, yeah. <laughs> uh, they just come in and then it's, yeah, then you really have to dis have a discussion with, uh, with the client as well, like, you know, yeah. how you move forward with that. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to chat uh, on this podcast. I really love the conversation, but I think we need to stop the recording here. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Super fun to be on your show. All right, that was the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure you give it a thumbs up and let me know in the comments, your thoughts and biggest learnings from the episode. I'm always super curious about that. You can also tag me on a post about your biggest takeaway and share your insights with others. If the episode provides you a lot of value, make sure to follow and subscribe and share with friends or colleagues so all have the chance to learn and grow themselves. Until next time, cheers.